ado, I'd like to welcome Wayne Buxton to the stage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, I'm really pumped about uh, the ways we get to serve and, and, and love on those around us, and especially with Convoy of Hope. Man, to take $120 and it's able to feed a kid lunch at school for a whole year, I'm like, that is just absolutely amazing, the way they take what it seems like what little we have, maybe, but some of us, maybe it's a lot, but they take that and they multiply it, you know? I love that. And, um, you know, Convoy of Hope for us, when uh, our family got hit with the hurricane down in Louisiana, uh, just about every year, just about every month, it seems like in the summertime a hurricane comes through. Uh, Convoy of Hope sends da disaster relief down there, and uh, they help out with food and supplies and all that good stuff. And, and we, we, you know, we've sent people down there as well. Our very own Marshall has gone down there a number of times now as a, a fellow missionary from the Mustard Seed Church to help down in Louisiana. So I just love being able to partner with organizations like this who take what, what you give and then they multiply that. So, uh, so I'm pumped about all of that. I wanted to say, uh, if you're new here, we want to say welcome. Uh, we appreciate that you're joining us this morning. And if maybe even if you're new here to the faith or you're new on the journey of figuring out who Jesus is for you, I do want to say welcome as well. This is a place for you to be able to explore that, what that looks like for you. We always say here, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. And so we just want to welcome you here. Uh, my name is Wayne. I'm the lead pastor here at the Mustard Seed Church. And today we're going to finish our sermon series of uh, becoming like Jesus through the lens of emotional, healthy spirituality. This is seven, part seven of the seven series. And so what we've been looking at is how we can, for the last seven weeks, what we've been looking at is how we can experience transformation at the core of who we are as people. That we wouldn't just dress up the outside and do all the right religious things, but we would experience transformation at the core of who we are. And uh, Adam and myself and all of us really looked at this journey of emotionally healthy spirituality. And these are some of the topics that we hit just to stir it back up in your memory. We looked at the practice of going back in order to go forward. How things in our past have formed and shaped us to who we even are today. And to experience transformation, we need to go back and sort of make peace with that and, and have healing to that before we move forward. We looked at journeying through the wall. How uh, we all hit a wall in life, a crisis, uh, trouble, struggle, all this stuff. We all hit that. We all encounter that, but we experience transformation when we can journey through it. Adam led the one, uh, I'm glad he did this one because he did such a good job, the transformation through grief and loss. How through grief and loss in our life, it can be a, a moment of transformation within us. And then last week we talked about transformation through conflict, which was a hot topic one that I even put into practice. There was a couple of people that I called up and I was like, hey, my bad. Forgive me, you know, <laughs> that was even for me, so transformation through conflict. All these things in our lives are not the surface level stuff that we're talking about. All these things are at the core of who we are. And if you've been with us through this sermon series and applying it to your life, or in a life group hopefully where we have discussions around food and all of this stuff, man, we hope that you are experiencing transformation at some level within your own life. That's our hope, to go through these sermon series, that we would put them into practice and experience transformation at the core of who we are. 
So today we bring this sermon series to an end, and I want to start off by asking the question, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, we don't have it on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. He says, the student is not above the teacher, but when he is fully trained, will become like his teacher. Who are you becoming? The reality is, is that we are all becoming somebody. We are all becoming someone. Parker Palmer says this. He says, following Jesus is not a life we live in a vacuum. Free of powerful influences it is a contested path of obedience. The influence of the world and often our own hearts are not postured towards being like Jesus. Though we may rarely think of it, there are many forces that influence us who we are and who we are becoming. This is the reality that even though we may not think of it, there are many forces that are shaping who we are and who we are becoming. I'm into like the whole social psychology and social sciences and all this stuff. And so I was reading some, some statistics and some journals and all this. And this is what some social psychology studies have shown in terms of humans, how humans are shaped by the things in our lives. Some of the things that can shape us are our family. Our family and our upbringing can shape who we are. You ever heard somebody say, man, he is just like his daddy. I tell you, I heard that all the time growing up. Boy, you're just like your daddy. Or uh, you remind me so much of your mother. Right? You ever heard any of that? Our family shaping who we are. The people we spend our time with, whether friends or co-workers, can shape who we are. The whole saying of birds of a feather flock together. Anybody heard that one? Right? That's an old school one. Birds of a feather flock together. Another one is uh, what we spend our time watching or listening can shape who we are. Especially with what we're experiencing in our culture in terms of the news and all of this. There was a study done by the University of California... Uh, on the effects of the Boston Marathon bombing. Do you remember the Boston Marathon bombing happened a couple of years ago, a few years ago? They did a study on the effects of the Boston Marathon bombing, and the study looked at the mental health of 5,000 people who were both at the Boston Marathon bombing and, uh, the people, and people who watched up to six to eight hours of news about the Boston Marathon bombing. And what the study showed is that people who watched the news... Six to eight hours of the news, people who watch the news experienced the same mental health side effects as those who were present at the bombing. What we watch and what we listen to can shape who we are. Some of the other things that shape who we are is the places that we live. Studies have shown that if you tend to be more conservative but live in a place that is more liberal, you, t you tend to, over time, lean more and more towards being liberal or, or vice versa. If you're liberal, live in a place more conservative. Over time, you tend to lean more and more towards being more conservative. The places that we live have an effect on us. And last but not least, some of the things that can shape who we are is social media. The barrage of ads and agendas and other people and scrolling and all of this stuff that comes with social media can shape who we are. So this is the question. Who are you becoming? 
If all of these things can shape and impact us in our lives and who we are, then who are you becoming? Today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at God's Word and the life of Jesus to see what He has to say for me and you and how we, be, how we can become more like Jesus, how we can be shaped the way I believe God wants us to be shaped and becoming more like Jesus. So we have two things we want to look at today. We have two points we want to make. The first one is what we want to do is develop a rule of life. Developing a rule of life. Dallas Willard says that in order for us to become like Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Think about that. In order for us to become like Jesus, we then need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Which for me, this makes total sense. Because just hypothetically, and this is totally hypothetically, if I wanted to become a long distance runner, this is totally hypothetically <laughs> Just throwing that out there. If I wanted to become a, a long-distance runner, I would need to live a long-distance runner lifestyle. You get what I'm saying? I would need to probably uh, track my meals and my food, make sure I'm eating the right amount of pro uh, proteins and carbs and fats. I'd probably have to eat way more vegetables than I eat now, which is like I consider corn a vegetable. And so that's like on my list. Is it a vegetable? Yeah, no. Some said yes. Oh, we're, we're torn in here. Uh, I'd probably have to weigh my food and meal prep. I'd probably have to wake up early in the morning and go for long runs, waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning while everyone else is still sleeping. I'd probably have to get the newest running gear, right? The new shoes and the five-inch running shorts. You know, the short shorts that guys... You'd if you see me running in those, please stop me, okay? Please stop me. <laughs> but in order for me to be a long-distance runner, I would have to live that long-distance runner lifestyle if that's who I want it to be. Like right now, I, if I'm just being honest with you, right now I don't go for long runs. If anything, they're short runs. I play golf and I go to the brewery. That's like the extent of my, that's the extent of my activities. I don't eat lean meats and fruits and veggies in a balanced diet. Rather, I eat, I eat cheesecake, right? The bakery has wonderful cheesecake. My dream came true. We went, on a, we went to the Vineyard Conference in Anaheim, and I didn't know there was such thing as a cheesecake factory. And somebody told me about that, and I was like, man, a cheesecake is the cheesecake factory. I was like, say more. <laughs> you know? And we show up, and it was like this glass container of like all these cheesecakes. And she was like, which one would you like? I'm like, which one? <laughs> I was like, more than just one, you know? But that's the kind of lifestyle that I live. But the point is, is that in order for us to become more like Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And this is why we need to develop a rule of life. Now you might be wondering, man, what in the world is a rule of life? When we say a rule of life, what we're saying is that we want to order or structure our life in a way that supports us becoming more like Jesus. Let me say that again. We want to order or structure our life in a way that supports us becoming more like Jesus. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this. He says, the word rule comes from the Latin word regula. Can you say that with me? 
Regula. You're speaking Latin this morning. Look at you. Which literally means a straight piece of wood. Think of a ruler. Regular ruler. But it was also used to mean a trellis. Like what we have here with the vineyards and the grapes and the vines. We have the trellis that the vines grow up and the grapes hang on. And we have all this wonderful wine that is made. And so the same way that a trellis supports the vine and the grapes in the vineyard, a rule of life, a rule of life supports you and me becoming more like Jesus. The same way a trellis supports vines and vineyards and grapes and all, the same way it supports all that stuff so it can produce, a rule of life for you and me supports us becoming more like Jesus. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he had a rule of life as well. We have a couple of scriptures we want to read for you. The first one is Luke 4, 16. And it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom. Catch that part. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. What we see here with Jesus is that, one, as was his custom, he regularly went to church. You see that? As was his custom, he went to the synagogue. He regularly went to church. And as was his custom, he kept the Sabbath. Because he did it on the Sabbath day. This is the rhythm that we see in the life of Jesus. The next one is Luke 5, 16. It says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. What we see here is that he would order his life so that he would get away and have solitude and silence. He would break away all through the scriptures in the New Testament. He would break away and he would go up into the mountains and that he would pray. And we see here that also he, was, he had a life of prayer. So he had solitude and silence and he had prayer. This was Jesus' rule of life. Another thing that you see in Acts chapter 2, I believe it is, or Acts chapter 4, is that the apostles are seen going to the temple at the hour of prayer. So in the Hebrew culture, they had three times that they would pray. 9 a.m., I believe, 12 p.m., and then 6 p.m., I believe is what it was. But they, they had this rhythm in life where 9 a.m., they were at the temple to pray. 12 p.m., at the temple to pray. 6 p.m., at the temple to pray. They had this structure in their life, this trellis, that supported them becoming more and more like Jesus. And for you and me, we need to develop this rule of life as well so that we become more like Jesus. Real quick, on the screen, we have seven practices that we want to show you in the life of Jesus. These are seven practices that I try to do in my life. Uh, I'll tell you which one drives my wife the crazy the most. Uh, the first one is fasting. I try to do it like to where I'm fasting one day, maybe uh, once a week or one day a month or something like that. Just having a rhythm of fasting. Scripture, solitude and silence, Sabbath, community. Gosh, I love our community and our life group. Simplicity and prayer. These are some of the things that we've seen in Jesus' life. My wife hates the simplicity one because I get into like this minimalistic thing and then I'm clearing everything out and I'm rolling everything up all nice and neat and tucking it away. And I, you know, she's got like stuff everywhere and it's just like, our, we're just like two totally different ends on the spectrum, you know. But this is one when you see with Jesus, he says, foxes have holes and all this stuff, but the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. 
Right? So Jesus lived this life of simplicity. He didn't have a whole lot of things. And so these are some of the seven practices that we see with Jesus. Man, write my encouragement to you, write some of these down and try to have these to become part of your rhythm and your rule of life. So a great way to develop a rule of life is what is called fixed hour scheduling. A great way to develop a rule of life is what is called fixed hour scheduling. And what essentially fixed hour scheduling is, is that you schedule your day um, so that it sets you up so you can succeed in becoming more like Jesus. Real quick, I want to read to you one of my uh, fixed hour scheduling. So essentially the way it goes is you schedule your day hour by hour of what you're going to be doing. And you schedule that out for the day. Some of you in here are like, what in the world is that about? Let me read it to you. This is my schedule, hour by hour, my fixed hour scheduling. 5 a.m., coffee and quiet time. This is where I have time with the Lord. Uh, I get into the Word. I go for a walk with the dog. Uh, That's from 5 to 6. 6 to 7 was working out. I don't do that anymore uh, because it got cold. So I'm trying to think of a new way to do. I'm trying to think of a new way to do that. Uh, some of you are in this. I'm just. I'm literally looking at my calendar right now. 8:30 to 9:30, pick up Brian. I guess I picked up Brian Bilby. Uh, nine, uh, 12 to 1 is staff meeting. 1 to 2, eat lunch and journal. 2 to 3, do schoolwork. 3 to 3:30 to 4:30, sermon prep. That was a that was a Tuesday for me. This is how you develop a rule of life. It kind of sounds ridiculous, right? You're like hour by hour, you're scheduling out your day like that. But this is how you develop a rule of life because what it causes you to do is it causes you to get in the things that you want to get in. Because many times if we don't do this, if we're not intentional with uh, our rule of life, what happens is we just get busy and we fill it with something else. Is that just me? No? It's not? Okay. Like we, like rather than waking up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. to journal or to read or to pray, I'm waking up like at 8 a.m., you know? Or I'm staying up late till midnight and I'm watching Netflix or something like that. You know, I'm a night owl, so it drives my wife crazy because she's going to bed like at 8. And I'm up till like midnight, you know? Or she's like, all right, I'll see you later. I'm like, where are you going? 8 o'clock, bedtime. I'm like, what? Who does this, you know? <laughs> but you have to like schedule and be intentional with your time in order that it supports you becoming more and more like Jesus. Can I tell you, when I have a fixed hour scheduling, uh, I thrive in my relationship with the Lord more and more and when, compared to when I don't have it. And so developing a rule of life, we need to do that. We need to develop a rule of life so that it supports us becoming more and more like Jesus. So my encouragement for you, man, break out your calendar on your phone, do the fixed hour scheduling, find some of these on the list right here that you're like, oh man, I'd like to try that one. Get it into your calendar and give it a go for two or three weeks and see how it goes. This is why uh, we call this practice in the way of Jesus because we're practicing here. We're not going to get it all right, right off the bat. So that's the first one is we need to develop a rule of life. The second is... Uh, The way we become more like Jesus is having companions for the journey. Having companions for the journey. 
The scripture I want to read to you is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And Paul says this, he says this to the church. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The Greek word for imitators here is mimiteus. Mimiteus. Can you say that with me? Mimiteus. Man, you're speaking Greek now too? Look at you. I'm so proud of you all. <laughs> it's where we get the word from to mimic or to follow. And what Paul is saying here to the Corinthian church is to mimic my life as he is mimicking the life of Christ. And he says this to the church a number of times. Just a couple of scriptures I want to read to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. He says, you know how you ought to imitate us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He says, hey, look at your elders and your deacons and your pastors and look at the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Mimic them. That's what he's saying to the church here. Having companions for the journey. We need to have people in our lives that we can look to that can help us to become more and more like Jesus. We need to have people in our lives who we can look to that can help us to become more and more like Jesus. And what this looks like in my life is that I have no problem whatsoever reaching out to someone uh, to ask them for help or to teach me something or to mentor me in some form or fashion. Even if I see it like it's something that I see them doing or it's something about them that I like or it's some sort of characteristic that they have. If I see that, I'm like, man, hey, could you teach me, show me, help me? How can I get that or how can I be like that? And just a couple of examples for you on this one. Uh, one of my professors at the Vineyard Institute, his name is Simon Ponsonby. And he taught, uh, he, he was my professor for the Holy Spirit class that we went through. And he's in the UK at St. Aldate's at Oxford. And so just one day I was listening to his sermons. And I'm like, man, I love the way this dude preaches. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to like low-key stalk this dude, email him, and then ask him if he can train me or teach me how to preach the way he does. You know? So I found his email, the church that he was at. I emailed him. I was like, yo, this is going to sound weird. It, it sounds weird already, you know, but I'm in Colorado and you're in the UK. You're one of my, you were my professor. I love your sermons. Could you teach me, you know? And uh, it was probably like three weeks later, he emails me back. And I was kind of nervous to open it because it could have been one of those things of like, are you mad? You know, who are you emailing me out of the blue? Or it could be wonderful, you know. Well, it actually said in the email, he said, man, thanks for reaching out to me. He says, I love the vineyard churches. And he said, I would, I would love to teach you and train you on how to develop a sermon and help you to preach. And I was like, wow, this, I mean, this is like big time, you know. And I remember like my first sermon, I recorded it. I sent it to him and then he emailed me back. Did you lose me? Okay. No. He emailed me back, and it was uh, encouraging and crushing at the same time. So I preached this word at the Durango Vineyard, and I was like, man, 
I really brought the word. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm going to send him this one. Uh, the highlight reel, basically. You know what I'm saying? And so I send it to him. And he reviews it. And he comes, he emails me back. And he's like, man, your cadence, your rhythm, your tone, the way you're serious. And people are probably crying. But then the way you make people laugh. And then you bring it home and it's serious. He's like, man, all of that is awesome. I was like, yeah. And then there was this gap in the email, and then he got back to the email, and he says, but the, the, the scripture that you preach, you preached it totally out of context. Like, you totally didn't preach what, what the writer was talking about. And this is what he said, he was like, and he was spot on with it. He said, you, it sounds like you had an analogy that you wanted to share, and you structured your sermon around that analogy, rather than preaching the word. And he's like, man, you have to be in love with the word to preach the word. And so I went like from way up here to like way down here, you know. And uh, but it, it, he sent me like a, a, a manuscript, an outline of how he does all of his stuff. And it's just been wonderful and helping me out. Uh, Gary Best, who is the national director for the Vineyard Churches in Canada. I, I talked to him last month and he's one of my coaches in terms of. Uh, spiritual formation and church structure and systems on. I reached out to him. I said, dude, could you coach me? Steve Summerall, he's a professor at Fuller University in spiritual formation. He's my spiritual director. And last but not least, the infamous Mr. Kirk Yamaguchi at Kenya View Vineyard. I play golf with him, at least try to once a week. Because I look at his life and I see his love for the word, his love for the Lord, uh, his love for the church. And he's been in it for 25 years. He's been a pastor. And I'm saying, man, if, I can, my, if my life can reflect somebody else's life, that I can walk shoulder to shoulder. Well, not shoulder to shoulder because he's like down here. Uh, but if I can walk like side by side with, right? If there's somebody I can walk side by side with and learning from, I want it to be him. And how to be a pastor and how to finish well and all this good stuff. Companions for the journey. This isn't my life. Companions for the journey. See, the tension that we can have in our time and in our culture is that we're so individualistic. We're so individualistic that we think that with faith, it's something that we walk out on our own. But when we look at men and women in Scripture, it couldn't be further from the truth. It seems to me in Scripture that people are cultivating this relationship with Jesus to investing in others and raising others up. So they're having their own relationship with Jesus. Then they're reaching back and they're investing with others and raising others up. And then three, they're reaching out and they're finding somebody they can grab a hold to and say, hey, would you bring me along with you? Investing in their own walk, reaching back, investing in somebody else and reaching forward and grab a hold of somebody else and saying, will you bring me along with you? And this is the question. Who might God be highlighting to you to reach out to? Maybe it's to see if they would mentor you or walk with you on this journey of faith. This is why we have our mustard seed communities here. This is why we have the women's prayer group on Friday morning. This is why we have the men's Bible study on Friday morning. So we can surround ourselves with people who we can walk shoulder to shoulder with. Having companions for the journey. 
It might not be someone you even look up to. Like for me, I look up to Kirk Yamaguchi even though I look down to him. Right? I look up to him even though I look down to him. So it might not be somebody to look you up to, but it, you look up to, but it might be somebody that you can walk with on this journey of faith. That you're not doing this thing on your own. Companions for the journey. So the first one is developing a rule of life. The second one is having companions on the journey. So as we close, if we can have the worship team come up. Uh, a couple of practicals that we have for you. The first one is the fixed hour scheduling. I know I mentioned it earlier briefly, but I'm serious about it. The fixed hour scheduling. What if you went into your calendar and into your phone and you scheduled out your day and you were intentional with your time with the Lord or when you would get away for Sabbath or when you would do fasting or whatever that might look like. Like you were intentional with scheduling it into your life. Because the thing that I see the most is if we don't do that, then it just passes us by and then we're on to the next thing, whatever that might look like. My encouragement for you is if you're going to do this, be realistic with it. Do not schedule it into your phone, 4.30 a.m., read my Bible. Because we all know how that's going to go, right? You're going to sit down in your cozy chair with your candle lid, with your Bible like this, and then like this, right? Like, get realistic with it. Say, man, what's the best way I could set myself up for success? What's the best rule of life I can establish in my life that supports me becoming more and more like Jesus? One of the things that my wife and I do is I schedule once a month, uh, I get away for like the whole day. And I'll go up onto the mesa or I'll go out into the desert. And I have to schedule that in advance. Because my wife would be like, where are you going today? I'm like, to the, to the desert. John the Baptist, you know. She's like, you got to bring the kids to gymnastics, you know. And I'm like, oh, dang it. <laughs> so you got to like schedule it in advance for, the, for, your, for your spouse, husband and for wife, right? Schedule it in advance to where you can both get away for a day and spend time with Jesus in solitude in silence. And that's the first one, fixed hour scheduling. The second one is, who might God be reaching, be highlighting to you to reach out to? Maybe it's in business. It doesn't even have to be a faith thing. Maybe it's a, a Christian brother or sister in your life that's uh, also a co-worker or in business. And say, man, could you walk alongside with me in this tension of business and faith. Could you teach me how to do that better? Or maybe it's you see somebody who has this deep walk and this deep relationship with the Lord. And you're like, man, I want that. Man, what, could, I, could you teach me? Could I come alongside with you? Could we get coffee every other week? Whatever that might look like. Who might God be highlighting to you to, to one, maybe even reach back to and raise up and invest in. And two, that you can be grabbing a hold of to and they be investing in you. So that's the two practicals for the day. And we end with this question, the question that we began with. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? If we just go through life and just go through the motions... And we're unintentional with our becoming like Jesus. We will become somebody. You will get to your, you will get to your life. 
later in the years and look back and realize you became someone. And sometimes it's not even the person you wanted to become. Who are you becoming? My hope here for the Mustard Seed Church is that we are on this journey of becoming more like Jesus. And it's a journey. Has anybody made it there yet? No? Okay. It's a journey. And I love what he says in Luke 6 where he says, The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will become like his teacher. There's training. There's practice. That's the man, let me try this. Let me try waking up at 5.30. No, that didn't work. All right, let me try waking up at 6. All right, let me schedule it in the evening time. Like it's, it's a journey and it's training and it's practice. But if, if we're not intentional with it, we will become somebody. And my hope here is that we become more and more like Jesus. For our families, for our friends, our co-workers, our community, this valley. We become more and more like Jesus. So as we close, would you stand with me? We're going to have some ministry time.